Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Thank you. My name is John. I'm alcoholic. My sobriety day is April Fool's Day, 1990. And I owe that to a loving God that I don't understand and strong sponsorship and, uh, and the unconditional acceptance that I've only been able to find in Alcoholics Anonymous. My home group is the Northwest Recovery Group in Portland, Oregon. almost said Montana. <laughs> it, uh, we meet on Tuesday nights at 7.30, and we read out of the book, and we talk about what we read in the book. And if you want to hear the solution, then come to my meeting. If you want to hear a bunch of crap, go someplace else. It's, uh, I, learned, I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous that when the guy comes in the door, you shake his hand, and, and you greet him, and, and that's what we do there. And, uh, and it's a great group, and, and I just, I'm so thankful for that. Um, I want to thank my sponsor for asking me to do this. I told him when he got here tonight, I said, I've had a stomachache ever since coffee last night because when he asked me to do this, he looked across the table at Perkins and he said, bring a coat and tie tomorrow night. And uh, so here I am. And uh, I'm grateful. I'm really grateful, especially to be, to be able to be here at Beartooth um, at the 15th annual conference. And I, th- I think I've only missed one of these in uh, in the last 15 years. And uh, this is like, you know, this is really an honor. I've been finally been deemed sick enough to talk at Beartooth. I guess it's <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a uh, and, and it is an honor because um, there's, there's a lot of people in this room that saved my life. You know, when, when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I. Uh, you know, I, you know, the first time that I felt the effects of alcohol, uh, I was 12 years old. And, and, uh, I was at a, uh, Great Northern picnic in Glacier National Park. And, uh, one of my buddy's dads worked for Great Northern and, and we were standing there, Byron and I were standing there with a glass of Coke and his dad, Ralph, walked by and poured a little Everclear in each one of our glasses. And, uh, and I felt the sense of ease and comfort that comes from taking the drink. And, and I chased that feeling for a long time. I chased that feeling until I just couldn't chase it anymore. And You know, I don't have a, a huge, uh, you know, it just ain't much to my drunk log. I, you know, I, I drank every chance I got. I, I did what we do when we drink. And, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was like when I felt the effect of that, it's like something inside of me absolutely knew that if I was going to have a social life at all, alcohol was going to be involved. There was going to be some more of that stuff, whatever that was. That was going to be involved, and uh, and, then, and and I, I pursued that. It was it was just wasn't that hard to get to get uh, 
It wasn't that hard to get booze. And it was, uh, it was just, everybody drank. And, you know, we grew up in, we grew up in oil field towns and, and, uh, I mean, that's just what we did. That's what the people did that we were, that we ran with. And, and they were, um, my family was, uh, I, you know, I just, I was raised in a normal alcoholic family. That's all I know what I'd tell you. It's just, we were, you know, we just did, I watched mom and dad do that alcoholic dance forever. And, uh, you know, they'd go to the bar and they'd get drunk and, and they'd come home and fight, and whoever was the drunkest would lose the fight. And, uh, mom, you know, and mom would catch dad cheating on her, and, and, uh, she'd go find him, and she'd beat up the woman and drag dad home, and then pretty soon they'd, uh, you know, they'd just make it. Just, you know, it just seemed like that was the thing to do. And, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, I ain't, I ain't blaming my alcoholism or my life on my parents. I know that when I was 17 years old, my dad figured I was, it's time for me to go. And uh, my life was was my decisions from then on. Before then, my life was my decisions. And for some reason, I've always I've been blessed because I haven't I haven't had to blame my parents for anything. I know that my parents did the absolute best they could do with what they had to work with, and I didn't give them a heck of a lot to work with. So, but they uh, I know they loved me. But I, you know, I, I just I did that. I I drank all the way through school. Some people told me that I drank away a, a baseball career, and and, and uh, you know just. I drank, and I did it. it uh, It was just, it was just a scary life, you know. I waiting for an intuitive thought, Jesse. You know, the only, I, you know, I did, that's, I mean, I went to, uh, we ended up in, in, uh, Thermopolis, Wyoming. I did my last three years of high school in Thermopolis, Wyoming, and, and, uh, I, you know, and I just hung out, and, um, I met this gal down there, we, we were at a kager, and, and I, I met this gal at, at this kager, and, and I guess, I guess I was, I was drunk, and, and we were riding in the back seat of the car, and, and I guess I told her that, that I wanted to marry her, and, and uh, she was she was pre-Al-Anon, and uh, she took it to heart. And, <laughs> and uh, six months later, we were married, and and she uh, she decided to. Uh, we were having some problems because you know we we were only married for about six weeks, and and. Uh, and you know, in the same, in this, in this stuff just happened. I was, see, I was too, gradually, I was just turning into, I was turning into the same thing that I never wanted to be. You know, I, I swore that I was never going to do the things that my dad did. And I swore I was never going to be like my dad. And, and the longer I drank, the more I started becoming like, and I, you know, and I knew it when I was 19 years old when I got married. It was that, that I was, you know, I was just headed down the same path. And, and, uh, the first time I, the first time I cheated on her was, uh, she was seven months pregnant. With our son, and and uh, and I was I was a little resentful about her about her being pregnant because she didn't ask me if she could get that way. Uh, I came home from work one day and she told me that she was pregnant. I didn't know that she was going to go off the pill or anything. But see, there were some problems going on in our marriage, and she figured that what I needed was a kid, and that would help me settle down. 
and you know, and if you Alanons that are in the room, you'll you'll understand that because I've I've heard Alanons talk about that over and over and over again. This and uh, and and it just it, to the, the honest to God truth is it just scared me to death, it scared me to death because I I just knew deep down inside I knew that I didn't have it, what it takes to be a dad. And I just and I knew that I didn't have what it takes to be a good husband because I, I I knew that but I but I just kept trying and I kept trying and uh, but she was seven months pregnant and, and a buddy of mine uh, came up I, we had moved to Billings uh, from Thermopolis Wyoming and and that's when the powerhouses were going in Coal Strip and I joined the Ironworkers and and uh, somebody of mine came up to Billings from from Thermopolis Wyoming and and. Uh, we found some ladies of the evening, and, and and I got in trouble, and and I had to tell her about it, and and uh, and I watched, you know, I just I watched her heartbreak when I had to tell her about that, and uh, and I and you know, I didn't understand that because you know I like I said I I'd been watching mom and dad do that dance for a long time, and it and I never saw that pain in my mom's eyes that I saw in in her eyes, and and uh, and I I swore with every fiber of my being that I was never going to do that again. I would never hurt that woman like that again, and uh, and she believed me, and I don't know. It was you know it wasn't very much. It wasn't very much longer. It's, it, it, I, was, I was out there and, and and I just I did it again, and it, you know and it just and that just repeated over and over and over again, and and the, and the more that this went on, the the more guilt and the more remorse and the more shame that I felt. And, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I swore I was going to quit drinking. And, it, and I would, you know, I just, I would always, I would drink. You know, I'm just, I'm just an alcoholic. And I would drink and I could just never, I could never figure it out. Why couldn't, you know, why couldn't I just stay at home? Why couldn't I tell, yeah, I swore, I'd tell her, I'm going to the bar, I'm just going to have two beers tonight. I'm going to have two beers tonight and, I'm, and I'll be home. I promise. And I'd go to the bar and I'd have two beers and I'd get up and leave and I'd go home and pick a fight with her and be back in the bar. And I, and I just, that happened over and over and over and over again. And I could never understand why this happens. I, you know, I'm just, you know, I understand it today that I had the allergy and once I put alcohol in my system, I'm going to drink. And I'm going to drink until something outside of me stops me from drinking. Whether that be getting thrown in jail or Somebody beating me up or running out of money or whatever it is. The bar's closing, running out of booze. It's, it's got to be something outside of me that stops me from drinking once I start to drink. I know that. What I can't figure out is, is it, is, you know, it, when you're sitting there and it's two o'clock in the morning and, uh, and you just want to drink. How do you not drink? That's what I couldn't, that's what I thought was, that was the deal that was, that was, what was killing me is I just, how do you not drink? And, uh, I'd always end up in the bar. And just never could figure it out. I kept trying to figure it out. And, you know, and then, you know, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous and I learned that, you know, I don't have to figure anything out. And, and that, trying to figure that deal out just almost killed me. We, you know, we, we did that dance for years. We ended up, we had a daughter and, and, uh, I don't remember the first five years of my daughter's life. Because it was a, it was just a running blackout. And by this time, I'd become so violent by this time that, it, that I, I could not Lay a hand on my kids. I couldn't be around my wife because, because it, if, if you were sitting next to me in the bar 
and 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 just something would snap in me. I don't know what it was. But if you were sitting next to me in the bar and we were talking about football and something would snap in my head, then I would come out of this blackout and one of us is getting hurt real bad. And I just I could you know, I don't know what that was. And you know, today I know what that was. That was just it's just all that rage and, and all that stuff that, that was inside of me and I and I uh the book talks about people who are dangerously antisocial and that's who I was. I couldn't, it got to the point where, you know, I just couldn't be around people. And I was scared to death to be around my wife and my kids because if that happened, I never, I just didn't know what I would do. And, and so that last five years of my drinking, I, I just, I had to just stay gone. I had to stay away from those people because I was scared to death of what I would do. If I got mad enough to where I had to spank my kids, or if, you know, if I, if I got mad enough to where I had to slap somebody for, for anything, I would go into one of those blackouts. And it happened every time. And, uh, and it, you know, the only thing that kept me out of jail was most time was, like, in Roundup, I'd be out in the back of the bar beating up somebody in the alley, and the cops would come, and they'd say, oh, what's going on? And I'd say, he tried to sell me drugs. <laughs> and they'd haul him off jail, and I'd go back in the bar. <laughs> and uh, that, that deal worked several times. And, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, I just, you know, I was, I was just, I was just in the, the, the book says we're in full flight from reality and, and, uh, and that's what I was. And just scared to death. You know, and, it, and I didn't know, I just didn't know that, that I was scared. It's like, because when I come here and, uh, and I had, you know, I just had all that anger going on and, and, uh, and I had that tough guy going on and, um, if you'd have put a lie detector test on me that Friday night when I walked into that daycare and asked me what I was afraid of, I told you I ain't afraid of nothing or nobody. And, it, and that needle wouldn't have moved. And Because I, I believed that with all my heart. I wasn't afraid to die. I wanted to die, and I just couldn't do it. Um, I was afraid to live because I couldn't go on living the way that I'd been living and feeling the way that I'd been feeling. And... Uh, you know what happened? What happened to me was, uh, you know, she'd kick me out one more time, and and because they just, he just couldn't live with me, and and uh, so she, so she went to treatment in up in uh, up in Helena. She went to a treatment center up there because they didn't know what to do with her. They didn't know anything about Al-Anon. She was just nuts because she'd been living with me for way too long, and uh, I went to her family days, and there's about 25 guys in that treatment center who who did a 12-step call on me, and, you know, and I, I was coming off about a week runner when I went up to that treatment center, and I was pretty hungover, and, and I knew what was going to happen when I walked in there because she'd been up there, and she'd been telling all these guys what I'd been doing. And uh, and I knew that when I walked in that treatment center, I was going to have to whip everybody <laughs> in that treatment center. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's the way my head works. So so I'm, uh, so I show up, and I'm severely hungover from about a three-day runner, and, and uh and those guys sat me down and, and they talked to me about the disease of alcoholism and they and they talked to me about their lives. You know, they just there was twenty five guys that just did a twelve step call on me. And uh the counselors took me in there and they sat me down and and uh, they showed me those Father Martin tapes and 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 you know, just you know what happens when you go to one of those treatment centers for family days, they they try to hook you and uh try to drag you in there. And uh, I wasn't being drugged, but what I did was, I, for the first time in my life, I'd had I had to sit still. And uh, 
October of 1986. I had to sit still and take a good hard look at myself and what I'd been doing to other people for three days while I was up there for that family days. And I just, and I, I just sat, I just bawled like a baby. And it was the first time in my life that I could remember that I had actually bawled and just sobbed. And, and, uh, and, and it felt good. It, you know, I felt wimpy. I was embarrassed because I was a tough guy. And tough guys don't cry. And, and uh, you know, your last name's, last name's Barlene, boy, get over it. And just all that crap that you're raised with. And, and uh, so when I left there, I swore that I was never going to drink again. And I meant it with every fiber of my being. And I went home, I went back to Roundup, and, and uh, I still had a six-pack of Rainier in the fridge. And, and it took me two days to pour that out once I got home. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, beer never smelled better to me in my life than when I poured that beer down the drain. And, I, and I'd made the commitment that I just wasn't going to drink anymore. And I told him I'd go to some AA meetings there in, in Roundup, and I told him, yeah, I'll get a sponsor. And, and uh, you know, of course, someday I'll get a sponsor. But uh, I wouldn't want to rush into anything that might help. And uh, so I went back to Roundup, and, and there was oh, there was about 10 or 12 of us there in Roundup who were trying to stay sober and, and uh, didn't know what we were doing. We went to meetings, and we'd talk about the problem because that's all we knew about. We'd try to read this book. And, you know, and they told me that, that uh, I needed to get a sponsor and I needed to read the big book. They, they told me all the right things. They told me all the same things that I was told when I got here. I just wasn't, you know, I just didn't hear it. I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready to do that. And, uh, but I did read the book, and I could tell in the book that it talked a lot about me needing to find a power greater than myself. So I joined the quote church choir. And uh, my my wife was in the choir. She was a devout Catholic her whole life. And so I joined the church choir. And one of those guys who was in the choir took me under his wing, and he kind of took a liking to me. And, you know, and, and that, now I'm, I'm going to about two meetings a week, and I'm going to choir practice on Wednesday night, and I'm singing in the church choir every Sunday. And every time I sing in the church choir, it is a huge spiritual experience for me, huge spiritual experience. And then there was a couple of priests over there that, that kind of took an interest in me, and, and uh, they started praying for me. And then they broke a bunch of rules, and they baptized me Catholic right away. And, you know, and I'm thinking, now, this has got to be it. This, um, this has got to be it. And uh, spiritual experience, a huge spiritual experience for me. I knew that when I was baptized Catholic, I knew that God and Jesus Christ had forgiven me for my sins. And... Uh, the hard part for me about that is deal is that you know I can't forgive myself at this point. That doesn't do anything for me to get rid of the guilt and the shame and the remorse, to know that, that somebody else has forgiven me for my sins. And and uh, it wasn't very long that you know I was doing that. And then and then old Gene over there he he told me he said, "Well, I think you need to be in the Knights of Columbus." So I joined the Knights of Columbus, and they just kind of rushed me through, made me a fourth degree Knight of Columbus, and and I'm you know I'm just doing this deal. I'm I'm doing absolutely everything that I can do in the church, trying to find power greater than myself that will solve my problem. And the whole time that I'm out there trying to solve my problem, I don't have a clue what my problem is. Not a clue. And I'm getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and I'm getting more violent, more. And this ain't drinking. And it finally got to the point where I don't know. I made it about six weeks. Uh, my first sobriety date was October 3rd. It was the same as my belly button birthday. 
1986. My second sobriety date was a week before Thanksgiving in 1986. And I kept that sobriety date right up until the time that I had to tell my sponsor that I'd been on the marijuana maintenance program for about two years before I've got a sponsor. So, but I had to do that. I had to do that. I had to, you know, there has to be some relief someplace for a guy like me. It's, I'd have been way better off, and I ain't telling anybody in here to go drink. Don't get me wrong. But I personally would have been way better off if I'd have drank. Because at the end of three and a half years doing AA my way, and trying to find a God, and trying to figure God out, and, and, and just doing Bible studies, and doing, just doing absolutely everything that I can think of to do. I'm at the jumping off place that the book talks about. I can't imagine life with alcohol, and I can't imagine life without alcohol. And I just want to die. I can't tell you. I wish I had a dollar for every night that I went to bed. And the thought would go through my mind, God, I just hope I don't wake up tomorrow. I just just can't do it again tomorrow. Because I know when I get up tomorrow that the insanity in my head is just going to be a little bit worse. It's either going to be the same or it's going to be worse. And I just can't do it again. I just, I just, I can't. And I, I'm. Everybody around me is scared to death. You know, and I'm, I'm not beating people up or anything else anymore. It's, you know, it's, I'm, it's been a long time since I've beat anybody up. It's been a long time since I've went into one of those rage blackouts and, and, uh, but boy, I, there was a tree up behind our house that suffered severely because I, I just have to leave and I have to go beat on something just because it's because I'm nuts and I'm convinced that I'm crazy. And uh, so my wife hears about um, Father Diorio, the faith healer, is going to be in Billings at the Metra, and she says, "I think we need to go to that." And I said, "I don't think we do." And uh, so we went to that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we went in, and, and on the south side, you know, he had his stage set up down there, and, and uh, on the south side is where all the people were, so I went over on the west side where nobody else was, and, and I, I took her, and we went over there and sat by ourselves, and, and he's down there, and he's, you know, he's calling people down, and, and uh, you know, the the blind are seeing and the lame are walking and he's touching them on the forehead and they're flopping down and doing the fish and they're dragging them around behind that curtain and, and they're getting up and throwing their crutches down and, you know, these people who have faith are walking off. And uh, he says, now he said, we're going to talk about booze and drugs and illicit affairs. And he said, I believe there's a man in the audience and his name is John. And uh, he said, I believe he's wearing a yellow shirt gray pants and gray cowboy boots and he said John if you're in the audience would you come down and I just I just stood there and froze and uh, and the hair just stood up on the back of my head and uh, I didn't go down there there you know I wasn't going down there and uh, <clears throat> today I believe that that uh, I was filled with the Holy Spirit that day there ain't doubt in my mind and I walked out of that place with my wife. I stood up there. I stood up there and just sobbed. And when I walked out of that place, I knew that that was it. That was the deal. I am now. I'm okay. I've got to be okay now. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what. It went three three days later. 
It, you know, it's, it's like, you know, just all hell broke loose. And it was, nothing even happened. It was just, you know, just, just everything inside of me. The anger, the fear, the resentments, the rage. It was like it was tenfold. And I was, you know, I was scared to death. Now, now I just, now I'm convinced at this point that there ain't a God that's going to work in my life. He just ain't going to do it. Thank you very much. He might be working for all you people, but he ain't going to work for me. And I'm out of answers. I got no place else to turn. I don't go, you know, I ain't going to church. I ain't singing in the crowd. I'm not doing nothing. It's, you know what? You can bite me. I'm done. And, uh, I got a resentment. And, but, but there's, there is one thing after, you know, after I'd been around here for a little while and I look back on that. There is, you know, that day, the obsession to drink was removed from me. I have not had the obsession to drink since that day. And that's the miracle of what happened to me that day. Another thing that happened to me that day, after I got a sponsor, and I started taking the actions as are described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it started dawning on me that it doesn't matter. I can have Jesus Christ himself as a sponsor. And this thing will not work in my life if I don't take the actions that are laid out in that book, the way they're laid out in that book in the first 164 pages. I know that to be true from my experience today. And, and thank God that finally... I know, but but I wasn't done yet. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I just I just I just wasn't ready. I just couldn't surrender. I just was not ready to surrender. And and uh, I'll tell you, uh, what happened to me is, is she had kicked me out. It was I mean she was done. There was there was there was no hope. And and uh, so she said, well, she said I think we need to date. And I was like, well, you know, are we kicked out or not? It's you know, it's, I'm confused now. What are we going to do? And uh, so I said, all right, we can date. And she said, okay, there's going to be a workshop in Roundup. Just, she tricked me. And she said, there's, there's going to be these people coming over here to do a workshop on sponsorship. And uh, I thought, God, I don't want to go to a workshop on sponsorship. And, and uh, it's like, Jesus. So I said, all right, I'll go. So I go down to this little church in Roundup, and, and I, I pull up, and there's, and there's uh, Jesse and, Spencer and John and, and Jeff Dyke and you know, and there's about there's about a dozen guys who were in this group when I got here and they were all standing out in front of that little church and they were all laughing and they were having a good time and and uh, and they were talking about things in front of their wives that I'd better not even look like I was thinking about in front of my wife and and, uh, and their wives weren't sticking knives in their guts or nothing like that and it, and it you know I mean that's that's the depth and weight right there for me at that point these you know these guys got something going on and and uh, so I went in and 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 they all went up to the front of the chair, church and and uh I sat in the back of that little church and I just bawled like a baby and I sat there and I listened to them in that workshop talk about sponsorship and they talked about taking actions they didn't believe in taking and, and just, you know, that's all you hear. And, uh, and I'm sitting back there dying. These guys are laughing and having a good time and they got that sparkle in their eye and that fire in their guts for Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm, and I'm sitting in the back of the church just dying and I'm judging them and I'm rating them and, and this one guy sits up in the front and he's got his arms folded like this and he's leaning back in his chair and, and, uh, he said, yeah, he said, when I sponsor people, I ask them to shave and cut their hair and look sober. And I instantly pissed. And, uh, so we left there, 
and uh, my wife had ended up getting a sponsor and the Al-Anons met downstairs and, and my wife had ended up getting a, a sponsor in that Al-Anon group and, and uh, we were driving away and I told my wife, I said, you see that guy over there? She said, yeah. I said, I said that arrogant son of a bitch will never be my sponsor. <laughs> he still is today. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you, I tell you what happened is uh, what happened is what had to happen for a guy like me is because I I do not have at that time I did not have it within my being to surrender. It just it, it just I just couldn't make it happen and. Uh, God surrendered me to a guy I hated, is what happened. We ended up at a conference. Well, you know what? Before we went to that conference, my wife got that sponsor, this Alice. God, I hated her. She, uh, <laughs> she, was, she, she started giving my wife some directions that I didn't particularly agree with. And for the first time, my wife didn't care whether I agreed with anything or not. And, and she was doing things that I didn't agree with. And I didn't have to watch that for very long. It's, it's like, you know, when, when I finally became willing to listen, it's like my sponsor, he said, he always told me, he said, the only thing that's really wrong with Alcoholics Anonymous, this program, and I think Al-Anon too, is it just works too good too fast for a lot of people. And I watched her, and it worked too good too fast on her, for me. <laughs> and... Uh, there were some things going on that I didn't like. Yeah, one thing was going on was uh, she decided she's going to move to Billings, and she knew ever since we got married that I'd never live in Billings because Billings was too big a city. There's no way I wanted to live in Billings, and uh, she decided she was moving to Billings, and she made an announcement at that Alanon group that she was moving to Billings, and they made plans to move her, and they told them AAs that they were moving her. <laughs> And on the day that we had planned to move, I had a couple of pickups there, and these goofballs show up with about ten trucks. And, and you know, I still got this rage going on. I'm still kind of a mad guy. And uh, they show up, and they start getting out of these trucks, and they come in my house, and they start taking my stuff out and putting it in their trucks. And uh, I'm I'm a little resentful at this point. <laughs> and, uh, and this is. And then, and then you've got, you know, you've got Jesse and Spencer who are there, and and they're just they're just laughing at me. And, and you know, and if anybody in this room knew me in those days, it's like you didn't laugh at me, and one of us wasn't going to walk away. That's just the way it was. And uh, these guys, and you know, that's just proof to me that there's God in Alcoholics Anonymous, because these guys stood right there and they laughed at me and they laughed in my face. And I was so mad, all I could do is just quiver and walk away, and uh, watch them load my stuff and. And, uh, and move it to Billings. <laughs> and then, you know, I didn't want to go to this conference. I mean, her sponsor told her she was going to a conference in Great Falls. And uh, they already had her room. And, you know, another resentment. And so I, I ended up in a conference that I didn't want to be at. There's no way I was going to Great Falls, Montana for an AA conference. And... Uh, but I went, you know, she's going, so I got to go. And, and, uh, I mean, it's, it's, isn't it just, it's so weird because it's, you know, one minute I wanted her to stay. And then the next minute it's like, God, I wish she'd leave. 
And it's, you know, just flip-flopping back and forth. And then I'm afraid she's going to leave, and then I'm afraid she's going to stay. And, and, you know, and in between there's some place I decided to go to Great Falls with her. <laughs> and I went to Great Falls, and I went to Great Falls with the intention that I was going to sit her sponsor down and straighten her out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it was after the Saturday night speaker. Tom I was the speaker that night. And... Uh, and I, I saw her. I saw her sitting over there, and I went over. I said, "Alice, I got to talk to you." And, uh, and she was scared to death of me. And, and most people were because I, you know, I just, you know, you see people who who you know you just need to kind just kind of move over and let them go by because they don't care whether you live or die. They don't care whether they live or die. And it's, that was me. And uh, I sat her down, and I was going to explain a few things to her. And I'll bet I sat there for five minutes and never got a word in edgeways. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I have no idea what she said to me. Not a clue. But I looked up, and I looked across the dance floor, and, and John Scott was standing over there. And the thought went through my mind, I'm going to knock him out. <laughs> and and, and I, just, I just got up from her, and, uh, and I headed for John. And I walked up to him, and, and my fist was clenched. I remember this just like it happened last night. I walked up to him, and my fist was clenched, and I had every intention of knocking him out because I hated his guts. And uh, what came out of my mouth was, will you be my sponsor? And it was it just surprised me terribly. And I, I, I said, uh, and I quickly corrected myself and I said, but I got to tell you, I hate your guts. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, he saved my life that night. Um, he said, you know what? He said, when we get back to Billings, he said, you come to our Friday night meeting and we'll go to coffee and we'll talk about it. You know, he didn't tell me, get away from me, like people have told me my whole life. And, uh, and there was, you know, there was, he looked at me and there was no fear in his eyes. Um, I remember standing there and looking him right in the eyes and hating everything about him. And he looked at me and all I saw in his eyes was compassion. And he saved my life. We got back to Billings. <clears throat> and I was, uh, I went to that Friday night meeting after that. Well, you know, at first, he told me, he said, <laughs> he said, we're going to, uh, he said, we're going to go across the street and uh, have some coffee and visit with the speaker. And and I thought, Jesus, we just listened to that old fart for an hour and a half. I, I, you know, I don't, don't want to go over there and go to coffee. And so we went over there and went to coffee and, and uh, and I, but I watched. You know, I used to I used to judge you people so bad because I'd sit at those when I would do would go to conferences. You know, I'd sit in the back and and uh, where everybody sat so they could you know play grab ass and do whatever we do. Those half measures people. What I what I that's judging. I don't judge today. Um, <laughs> You know, Matt, if you're here, you ain't one of them anyway. <laughs> but they, uh, I w- I'd sit in the back of the room, you know, and I'd watch those people and, and, you know, and they'd introduce the speaker and those people were up in the front and they would holler, hi, John, and they'd clap and, and I, you know, and I just, Jesus. 
And then when the speaker was done, they were the first ones to jump up and give him a standing ovation. And they were the first ones over there in line to thank the speaker. And, you know, and I remember I told my wife, I said, I'm just nothing but a bunch of speakers suck asses. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I just... <laughs> And then I come here and I find out it's you guys. <laughs> yeah, what a yeah, what a deal. <laughs> but I uh, so I we <laughs> we got back to we got back to Billings and I went to that Friday night meeting and uh, and and uh, you know what, I'll never forget that night. The people in that room saved my life that night. It was a uh, that was the the book study and the AAs and the Alanons were all in there and that room was packed and. Uh, and I walked in with all my hate and discontent and just just hate oozing out of every pore in my body. And uh, you know how you do when you walk into a room. You know, you just you assess the room. And, and I decided when I walked in that I could whip anybody in the room. So so I was all right. And, and I and I you know, and, and my my attitude and my actions pretty much told you that, that I wasn't real fond of you. I hated everybody in the room. And. Uh, I hated what you were doing with my wife, and I hated you. And, and uh, everybody in that room that night walked up and shook my hand. And they gave me a hug, and they told me that I was welcome. And they told me to keep coming back. And I could tell by the way they did it that they meant it. And uh, they saved my life. If they would have done to me what everybody had done to me my whole life, in the crowds that I ran in, that somebody else would be up here tonight. Because I was at that point where I was done. And I, and I didn't know it, but I was at the point where I was ready to do whatever I was asked to do. We ended up going to coffee, and, uh, and, and, and John kind of gets a few other guys gathered around. I didn't know this until Scott came into the group, and John says, you want some gratitude? Let's take this six-some gun to coffee. <laughs> so, so we went and drilled Scott. <laughs> and, uh, but that's what he did. You know, there's Jesse and Spencer and, and a few of those guys, and they, they drug me to coffee, and, we're sitting there at coffee, and the, you know, and the first thing he says is, "Are you willing to go to any lengths for victory over this deal?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, I am." And uh, that one has come back to bite me several times. Um, and if your sponsor has not asked you that, then get somebody who will ask you that, because I will save your life if you're a guy like me. And it has saved my life. There's been more than one time that he's had to remind me of the agreement that we made, that I was willing to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And that I would never say no to a reasonable AA request. And uh, he said, I need you to agree that my wisdom about your life is infinitely wiser than yours. <laughs> uh, I nodded, you know. And I've come to understand that as the newcomer nod. Now I'm sitting there, I think I got three and a half years. Because I haven't drank for three and a half years. And I got this newcomer nod going on because I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm history and I know it. It's, if this doesn't work, I'm through. And he told me what we did. He said, I want you to call me every morning at 10 o'clock, Monday through Friday, except for Tuesday. I don't know what he did on Tuesday. It was none of my business. <laughs> Tuesday mornings, 10 o'clock. Um, <laughs> um, and he said, not five after and not five till. He said, that's somebody else's time. You call me at 10 o'clock. And I was on my coffee break, and I'd call him every every morning at 10 o'clock. And, and why? To, it was, you know, at that time, it was like, uh, why am I calling a guy at 10 o'clock every morning who I don't even like? 
I don't trust him. It's, you know, and, and you know, I'm going to call him up and he's going to say, "How you doing, John?" I'm going to lie and say I'm okay, and he's going to say, "Okay, I'll see you tonight." We're going to hang up. Why am I doing that? I know why I'm doing that today because the book says that there comes a time in every alcoholic's life where you have absolutely no mental defense against the first drink, and that time has come three or four times in my sobriety in these past 17 years. And because I was able to pick up that phone and make that phone call at 10 o'clock every morning, Monday through Friday, except for Tuesday. <laughs> when those times came, I picked up the phone and I knew that he was going to answer the phone. And every time I needed to, he picked up the phone and he saved my life. And so if and if and I and you know, I'm kind of I gotta have a call time. You know, it's it's we kind of tried that deal for a little while where where uh, he it's, since I've been in Oregon he he doesn't you know he's he needs his sleep too. And uh, so we tried we well, just call me once a week. Well, you know what Friday rolls around and uh, gosh I haven't called my sponsor. Well, I'll catch him on Monday, but I don't want to bother him on the weekend and get into his personal time. And, you know, and all this stuff goes on in your mind. And, and the next thing I know, it's Friday again. It's, gosh, I haven't called my sponsor. And, uh, so I've got to have a call time. If I don't have a definite call time, it's just like I just, that's what I was taught and that's what I got to do. It's, you know, I just try not to change anything that I've been taught to do. And, uh, so we went through the whole rigmarole. You know, he said, I want you to go to four meetings a week, two of which I'm at. Four really meant six, but, <laughs> but, so you know, we, so we were, as I agreed, yeah, I'm, you know, I'll, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. And, and, uh, he said, I want you to read something out of that book every day. And I said, okay. And he said, how are you with God? And I lied and said, I'm okay. And uh, he said, good. He said, cause then I want you to get on your knees and pray twice a day to a God, whether you believe in him or not, doesn't matter. You need to get on your knees twice a day and pray. He said, if you do these five things on a regular basis, your life will get good in spite of you. And, and I said, okay. And for some reason, I believed him when he told me those things, and I started taking those, except for getting on my knees and praying. I, you know, I just didn't do that. I just, I just couldn't buy that whole thing right off the bat, getting on your knees. I could see why he needed to get on his knees and pray, because he's a farmer. You know what I mean? He's got to pray for rain. <laughs> you know? I'm an iron rigger for God's sakes. I, you know, we don't, we don't get on our knees to nothing. And, uh, and then I was in his basement and we, uh, we did pages 60 to 63. And then he got on his knees and we did third step prayer together and I've been getting on my knees and praying ever since that day. And I've watched him get on his knees and pray. And it keeps me on my knees and praying. You know, and I really, I don't care. I don't know whether God cares whether I get on my knees and pray. The thing, I've got to get on my knees and pray because yeah, a guy like me, I have got to humble myself to something. Booze humbled me. That's power greater than me. Booze will humble you. I guarantee it. It did me. And uh, So I just started taking these actions that I didn't believe in. I thought they had nothing to do with Stands, you know, they just seemed ridiculous to me, and and you know, I'd been getting on my knees and praying in front of the, you know, it's it's like you go to church and, you get, and the Catholics get on them kneelers, you know, and uh, I'd get on one of them kneelers and and uh, start praying, and every time it seemed like I'd get on one of them kneelers and start praying, there'd be some shapely woman who'd come in and kneel down right in front of me, and then poof, it's my prayers are gone, you know. I'd, <laughs> 
a little pervert kicks in, and and here we go. And and now you know what I'm, you know, and this is going on in church. And uh, so so I know I'm doomed. <laughs> and, uh, and you know I went to the priest and I asked the priest about that, and he said, well, I said, you know, just he said you just don't get to act like you think. And, uh, and I've, ever since that priest told me that back then, I've used that with a lot of guys. And it's I just and I don't I just don't get to act like I think. I still think a lot of times <laughs> but uh, I don't get to take actions on those thoughts anymore and, uh, and what a blessing what a relief it keeps me and a lot of other people safe um, so I started taking these actions that I didn't believe in and, and an amazing thing happened it, my life started to get better it, it, was, it was just amazing and uh, my first job was I was a butt picker at the recovery group. Um, he told me, he said, you know, for a guy like you, he said, picking up cigarette butts is a spiritual action. He said, I think you need to pick up cigarette butts after the meeting, you know, to keep, this, keep the sidewalk and everything clean so that, so that we have a place to meet. So I agree, okay, I'll pick up cigarette butts. So I, and and I, here's another resentment. Because I'm out there and I'm picking up cigarette butts, and I got Jesse and Spencer sitting over there smoking cigarettes and they're flipping cigarette butts <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> you know, I'm going to John. I'm saying, John, can I knock them out? <laughs> no, you can't knock them out. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> what a trip. You know, and then pretty soon I looked over and there's this guy named Chuck S. and he's been over. Me and him got the same sponsor and he's been over picking up cigarette butts with me and. and uh, me and him just become fast friends, and I got a guy who I'm just running with in Alcoholics Anonymous, and we're just doing a lot of AA, and, and we're, you know we're doing what we're taught, and, and we're it's six meetings a week. We're doing a minimum of six meetings a week. If anybody in that group speaking someplace in the world, we're there, and you know what I mean. We're overwhelming people. There's 40 of us showing up because Jesse's. Not, we never went with Jesse. You know, somebody sick like Durian because he's speaking, and we just show up in mass. And we would go. And if you didn't show up, oh, shame on you. Yeah. Because we'd go to the meeting the next night and, and uh, we'd go, I Zoomed you. I'm ahead of you. <laughs> you weren't there last night. And, uh, and I, you know, and I can't take that kind of peer pressure. <laughs> I'm, I ain't missing nothing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at everything, you know, and we're playing softball and, and uh, we're going to movies. I mean, we're doing everything. It's, you know, and I'm hanging out with these people who are just active in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and, then, and then one day I wake up and I, and, I can, and I get up and I go in there to brush my teeth and I look in the mirror to shave and, and, uh, and I'm able to look myself in the eyes and I'm okay with who and what I am. For the very first time in my life, I was just okay with who and what I was. And I remember that I walked into a retreat one Friday night. I'd come in a little late, and the room was just full of guys. There was 30, 35 guys in there. And I walked in, and I noticed that that big ball of fear wasn't in my stomach when I walked into a room full of people. And I just had the ball, you know, and I just, had to, I just went and found my sponsor, and I told him, you know, what was going on. And, and, uh, you know, and that's the miracle that happens in Alcoholics Anonymous. I hear people in AA all the time, they say, oh, you're a room full of miracles. I'm sorry. I'm not a miracle. But what has happened in my life as a result of taking these actions that I've been taught to take, the miracle that has happened in my life, that is the miracle. I get to get to be okay today with who and what I am. And, uh, you know, we were, 
we were running along pretty good doing this deal, and I'd been working the steps and, and sponsoring a bunch of guys. And, and uh, I was always told, just get in the truck. You know, if you're here tonight and you were told, just get in the truck, and you just got in the truck, whether you had any money or not, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Because for the first four years that I was in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I was, I was just told, get in the truck. I can't tell you how many times that I just got in the truck and I had to get way in the back and I had to sit on the hump in the middle and, and we'd drive to Rapid City and, uh, and somebody paid my way. You know, and I went to my sponsor and I said, I, you know, I don't know, I can't ever repay this. And he said, just do it for somebody else someday. The time will come when you're able to do it for somebody else someday. And, and he said, just do it for them. And, and so if you're here tonight and you weren't able to pay for this deal, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. And I want to thank you for allowing somebody to help you. Because I understand what my sponsor was talking about today when he said he gets, you know, it's, I, was, you know he was, I was just good for him. And I, I got tired of hearing that. I, it, uh, Bob M., Murphy, he told me one day, he said, you know, he said, you're one of them people who teach me what not to do. And I said, <laughs> and you know what? I got tired of being one of them people. And, uh, and so I needed to change some actions. And, and uh, you know, and it's just a process. And, if, you know, if you are new here, I, God, I hope you just keep coming back because you, you, uh, you can't find a better bunch of people being Alcoholics Anonymous with than the people that God threw me in with. Just stay, no matter what your head tells you. I can't tell you how many times my head has told me this is really overkill. We have really overcorrected this time. And uh, and I just stayed. I just stayed, and I, and I didn't act like I was thinking, and my life continued to get better. And it was about, it was in my, it was in my fifth year, um, One of the guys that I was sponsoring decided he liked my stuff better than I did. And he took all my tools and all my stuff. These were my tools, too. You know what? I'll tell you about that deal. <laughs> when we got into that ninth step, we, you know, we weren't even into the ninth step. I was asked to be a 10-minute speaker when I was really new. And... Uh, I got up here and I, I said something stupid like, you know, I don't know about this rigorous honesty. I thought it meant that I was going to have to take back all them tools I got in my garage. And, uh, and I just, I watched my sponsor just kind of perk up a little bit, you know. <laughs> Jesse and Spencer sitting in the front row laughing. And, uh, right after, right after I was done, my sponsor cornered me. So I got some bad news for you. Said, You're going to have to take them tools back. <laughs> and I went, so I, yeah, I went, I was, I was a general foreman for one of the world's largest construction companies. And we're doing a big job. We're doing the coker at the, at the, at the uh, Conoco refinery. And, uh, I'm the boss. And so I had to go to, uh, the guy who was my superintendent and tell him that I needed to bring something. I said, Johnny, I said, I, I'm involved in this 12 step program and, you know, and I got some tools that I need to bring back. And he said, oh, fine, bring them back. I said, no, Johnny, you don't understand. i got to borrow your truck. <laughs> <laughs> so he, 
yeah, scared to death I'm going to get fired, and uh, my family's going to starve to death. And, you know, he just laughed and said, go ahead and take my truck home tonight. And, and uh, I surprised him the next day. He didn't know that truck at all that much stuff. But, uh, but the freedom that I got from that, you know, I didn't know the fear that I lived in. Of you know, I mean, you couldn't come to my house. My garage door was always shut because I, you know, I didn't know whether I had your tools or their tools, or and, and I, you know, I didn't want anybody. I didn't want you to see that I had your tools, and I just lived in that fear all the time. And the, the freedom that I got from that was just amazing. Just it was just amazing, and and uh, got to a point where where I just absolutely knew that what I needed to do was go bankrupt. I know we were, I mean, we were. We were broke, and we just we couldn't pay all the bills. And and, uh, and I went to John, and I said, John, I said, uh, I gotta go bankrupt. He said, No, I don't think we'll do that. <laughs> and uh, I said, What? He said, No, I don't think we'll do that. And uh, he said, You owe him the money. You need to pay him the money. And and we and it, you know, and it, this is the first time that I'd ever kind of argued a little bit with him or hesitated or I don't remember what I did, but but he said, Well, you know what? He said, Jim's coming to town this weekend. He said, we'll talk to Jim about it. And I thought, okay, now i got a chance. <laughs> you, guys, you guys remember Jim Shaw? I thought, you know, I'll appeal to his soft side. <laughs> he didn't have a soft side. <laughs> I told him, I said, yeah, I told him everything was going on. I said, you know, we got these bills, just all these medical bills and everything. And I said, Jim, I really need to go bankrupt. He said, no, I don't think we'll do that. <laughs> I, yeah, he had already had that talk with my sponsor on his finances. I didn't know that. But uh, you know that what happened as a result of that is, is, is we would – my sponsor sat me down with a, a fight with a guy who was really wise in finances. And for the first time in my life, I was sat down and I was explained a budget, you know, just one of these life lessons that I never learned. And uh, – he got me on a budget, and he showed me on black and white where, okay, in 10 or 12 years, you'll have all this stuff paid off, and you'll be free and clear. And I said, you know, what an order. I can't go through with it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so my wife and I, we're, uh, we're going to coffee every night, and we're drinking water, and we're leaving a quarter on the table for a tip, and if we got 50 cents to put in the basket, that's what we put in the basket. If we had a quarter to put in the basket, that's what we put in the basket. We made $5 and $10 a month payments to all these people who we promised we would make these payments to. And when this $5 was done and paid off, then I moved it to this one and we paid 15 And it's like, Jesus. You know, the way I always did it was, you people don't understand. If you call me one more time, your name ain't going in the hat. I'm sorry. And... Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we're going to take the money we need to live on, and if I got $300 left on payday, then I'm going to pay $300 on this bill because they didn't call me. Um, <laughs> it was explained to me that that ain't the way the world works. And, uh, so I was 12 years sober and living in Portland, Oregon, and, and I was able to write a check for the last of my financial amends, 12 years sober. And the freedom that I got because of that, it's just indescribable. Because I did, you know, I just followed directions. I didn't believe it. You know, I couldn't take my wife out to dinner, and there was a lot of things that we couldn't do. But, it, but we did what was right. And we did what was right, I believe, in God's eyes, and, and, and that's all that mattered. And today I get to walk a free man. I can walk down the street today and it doesn't matter who I meet. 
I can look them in the eye, and I know that I, that I haven't done you wrong. I haven't sold your kids any drugs. I haven't slept with your wife. I haven't. I don't owe you any money that I haven't. I'm not current with. And and uh, and what freedom! What a freedom to just be able to do that. And uh, God, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. We were. Uh, Five years in 1995, like I was saying, one of the guys that I sponsored stole all my stuff and uh, took it to a pawn shop. And, uh, yeah, and it, that wasn't that big. You know, I wanted to kill him, but talked about it with my sponsor, and he told me I didn't get to act like I think. And, and uh, so I, I ended up, I was able to pray for him. And it wasn't very much longer, and, and, uh, 95, my, you know, my dad had been real sick for a long time, and, and uh, he died. And that was a hard deal, you know, and, and the people, the people in, in Alcoholics Anonymous just kind of just gathered around me. And, uh, you know, my aunt, I went and stayed with my aunt Thursday night. Since my uncle passed away, I've been, you know, when I come to town, I'm going to stay with my aunt. And, and, uh, and every time I go to her house, she talks about the people in Alcoholics Anonymous and how they came over to Roundup and they gathered up when my dad died. And she talks about you people. She said, are you still with those people? She asked me every time, are you still with those people? And, and uh, you made an impression on that woman that she will never forget because you just came and you supported me. You didn't. You never met my mom. You never met my dad. But you came and you supported me. Then about three three months after Dad died, my little brother Roy called me up on a Friday night. And he said, "He said, John, he said, uh, he said you need to come to Roundup. We got to talk Mom into going into the hospital. She's so sick she can't drink. And uh, you know, and if Mom couldn't drink, she was sick. And we were going to go to Roundup. And uh, and Roy went over there the next morning and he found my mom dead on the bathroom floor. And uh, she died of the disease of alcoholism." You know, one more time, you guys just surrounded me, and you just didn't let me act like I think. And uh, you gave me that unconditional love and support. And then it, you know, and I mean, 90, 1995 was it was a it was a different it was a different year for me. You know, it wasn't but a couple of months after that deal, and, and my daughter came to me downstairs in the house, and and she said, Dad, I've been raped. And uh, You know, and that kid's he's not crippled today. He ain't dead. And every everything that I've been taught in my whole life still sometimes tells me that I'm fully justified in, in taking that kid out. And I planned and I schemed and I you know, I went to his house and I'd look through his window and I knew what he watched on T V and I'd wait for him to come outside and he never came outside. And uh and Jesse spent a lot of time. Just John, and all you, everybody just spent a lot of time talking to me over that deal. And and uh, and then somebody would read that deal in the book where it says nothing, absolutely nothing in God's world happens by mistake. And the resentment would just boil inside of me because this, you know, this ain't right. This ain't right. You know that girl never done anything. She never hurt anybody in her whole life. Why did this have to happen to her? 
And, uh, and then that gal, Michael, came to, came to Billings, and she was talking. And, and John sat me down with her, and, and she explained the difference between God's world and man's world to me. And I was kind of able to, you know, just, but I was able to finally get on my knees and pray for that kid. And I was instructed to pray for him and uh, ask for God to give him what he deserves and then let God decide what he deserves. And I still do that sometimes today because that resentment still comes up sometimes. And I still have to get on my knees and pray for that deal. And, uh, and you know what? And you know what happened? What really? I, God really kind of just picked me up and moved me out of the situation because it wasn't very long after that that my employer came to me and he said, how would you like to go to Oregon for a 10-week job? <laughs> I'm still in Oregon. And, uh, and I said, okay, I can go out there for 10 weeks. And, and uh, I went to Oregon. And, and I was, I'll tell you what, I was scared to death when I went out there because it was, it was a huge spiritual experience for me when I went out there because it's, it's you know, it's, like I explained to you, we're, we're doing AA. We're doing AA intensely. It's, you know, I'm an intense alcoholic. I've got to do AA intensely. And we're doing the deal. And, and I'm in the middle of, of this group of AA Nazis, and I'm safe. And, and I know I'm safe. I know that as long as I stay in the middle of these guys, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And now I'm going to go to Portland, Oregon, and I'm supposed to go out in this. You know, and I told you I, I don't want to live in Billings because it's too big a city. And now God's putting me in Portland, Oregon, and uh, I'm scared to death because I know what's going to happen is every time that I get more than... 40 miles from home, it's like I, you know, I'm in my past, um, you know, I cheated on my wife. I, I, every time I was out of sight, those are the things that I did. And, and I was scared to death that I was going to go out there and just not go to AA meetings. And I was, you know, and, but, you know, I went out there and, and uh, I'd made up my mind that, you know, because I'd never seen the coast or nothing like that, right? So I'm going to take a few days off from AA, and I'm going to see the coast. But I'm going to go to the meeting. The first night I get there, I'm going to go to a meeting. And that was a Thursday night. Friday night, I'm going to the coast. I'm going to see the coast. So I go to the meeting on Thursday night, and this new guy's in there. And and nobody said a word to that new guy. And uh, I walked up to him after the meeting, and I shook his hand, and we stood there and talked for a little while. And, uh, and you know, and he's just scared. And I said, well, what are you doing tomorrow night? <laughs> and it's like, dang, I was going to the coast tomorrow night. And, uh, so then, you know, and pretty soon, it's, pretty soon I'm just, I'm, I'm dragging this guy to meetings and, and I'm just doing what you guys taught me. And I was out there for, for five and a half months and then I came back home for a little while and, and went back. But, uh, but what happened to me out there was, was I went from, you know, Johnny H talks about we have to cross lines. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous, he talks about going from being a taker to being a giver all the time. And, and uh, what happened to me was I crossed a line that, that I didn't even know that was there. I had crossed a line from believing in God to relying on God and didn't even know what was happening to me. I was able to take, and this wasn't through any power of mine, but, but I took what, what you guys taught me in Billings, Montana, and I was able to take it out there, and I used it to stay sober without that security blanket of having all you guys around me. And, uh, and I, you know, and, and the rest is history. You know, as a, I'm still in Portland. And uh, I couldn't find any AA that, that matched up. You know, it just doesn't measure up. Once you've been here, there ain't no sense going there. It just, it just doesn't measure up. Nobody does it right. So I, 
So I, I, was, I started sponsoring this guy, and he just got a divorce. And, and, uh, and I said, Larry, I said, we're going to have a meeting every Tuesday night at your house. I said, if you drink, leave me the key because we're going to have a meeting. And, uh, <laughs> and we had that meeting in his house, his book study, and, and we had it on Tuesday night. And uh, we ended up having to move it to a church, and, you know, and that meeting's still going on. And I still go to four or five meetings a week. And uh, I still do what I've been taught. I don't add to, the, to my program, and I don't take away from my program without talking to my sponsor and okay at first. I, I, I really do my best to not change anything. I keep Alcoholics Anonymous first in my life. You know, and I, uh, I was married to, uh, I was married to that woman for 33 years. We were married for 30 years, and, and she told me that I needed to move out. We had some differences that, that, we, that we couldn't reconcile on, or uh, whatever you want to call it. We just, we couldn't get along. And uh, she told me, Three and a half years ago, that I needed to move out, and, and uh, you know, we just tried that deal for a long time, and then we finally ended up having to get a divorce, and it was just it just needed to be over, and and uh, so last August my divorce was final, and uh, that's a sad deal, you know, you can't spend over 30 years of your life with somebody and and, uh, and not love them, you know, we love each other, we just don't like each other. I have. Uh, I, I followed my direction, my sponsor's directions, all the way through that deal, and I have no regrets. I have no remorse. I did absolutely everything that I could do to try to make that deal work, and, and uh, it just didn't work. Um, I have a lot of peace of mind, and I have a lot of serenity today. But I didn't know that, you know. I just, I'm, I'm okay today. Because I followed my sponsor's directions, and, uh, and don't get me wrong, he didn't direct me to get a divorce. It just, it, uh, everything else he's directed me on. And about three years ago, uh, I was, uh, I, I had an opportunity to start a little construction business of my own, and uh, and what and what a god deal, you know I'm. I'm, I, got, I barely got a high school education. The only reason that I graduated from high school is because my dad told me I wouldn't. He said, you know, we were, I was a junior in high school, and old Bert quit school, the guy I was running with, and dad looked at me and said, boy, he said, you'll never make it. And I decided right then, yes, I will. And, uh, and uh, did you see that, bud? <laughs> he was there, wasn't he? <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, I got to, you know, all I, I just got a high school education, and I have an opportunity to own my own little, my own little construction company. And it's, you know, I ain't broke and I ain't rich, but I'm, it's just, a, you know, I just get to learn. And, and, uh, and uh, but what I do know is that, that I've watched guys who have, who have tried to do that deal, and they, they start a business, and, and you, you know, you look around, and pretty soon you just don't see them in as many meetings. And they're just, they're busy. You know, it's, and I, you know, and I call him up, and I say, you know, why ain't you, what's going on? Well, you know, I, I just, I gotta get this business going. I just, you know, I'll be at a meeting tomorrow night. Well, they don't show up. And then the next thing you know that, you know, he's sticking an eagle in his arm and his business is gone. And so, as, you know, I've, I've watched that happen to several guys out there in that Portland area. And, and uh, so I, I keep Alcoholics Anonymous first in my life. And I keep working with other drunks first in my life. And, you know, and my sponsor made a comment to me a couple of years ago. He said, uh, he said, you know, out of all the guys that I sponsor, he said, you get the sickest. 
And I said, yeah, John. I said, just, I got a bigger pond to fish in than you do. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but he said, do you always have to bottom fish? <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, and, and all of me, you know, that ain't a, that's a compliment. In Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the sicker you are, the better off you are. It's like, you know, it's like that they got, you know, and if you're in here, we got that buzzard syndrome going on. You know, the closer you are to dead, the better we like it. Because you're, you are, you are almost at the point where you're going to surrender. Because, and that's what, that's what, that's what it had to be for me. And, and, uh, you know, and what a gift. I can't, I can't describe, describe to you, the, you know, the way that my life is today. I'm just, I'm okay today with who and what I am. I'm okay with everything that's going on in my life. I do what I've been taught to do, and, and one day at a time, I just, I just get to stay sober. And, and what a gift. And if you're new in here tonight, I hope you find something or hear something in this, in this deal this weekend that will just keep you coming back. Because if you just come here and you, and you just do what's asked of you, and these are not suggestions. They're not. I'm sorry. It's, it's not. Just do what's asked of you, and your life will get better in spite of you. It just works that way. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to share with you. And uh, The speakers are going to get better from here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.